Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Intelligent Transport Podcast. Today I'm joined by Philip Ellis, CEO at bike sharing outfit Beryl. It's been an interesting journey for Beryl, from manufacturing bike accessories as a company known as Blaze, to fully-fledged bike-sharing services around the UK, with an upcoming launch in New York's Staten Island. Beryl will also be launching e-bikes across the UK very soon, and are ready to trial e-scooters with partner cities. Now one quick programming note here, this episode was recorded before the beginning of the COVID-19 lockdown, so all information was accurate at time of recording. Philip, thank you very much indeed for joining me on today's podcast. Uh, it'd be great just to get a quick introduction to you and also to Beryl. Hi there. Yes, thanks very much. Uh, so I'm Philip Ellis, CEO and co-founder of Beryl. Um, Beryl is a UK-based uh, micromobility company uh, running micromobility services, uh, formerly known as Bike Share and uh, Electric Bike Share Services. Um, some of your readers might or listeners might uh, know that we were also previously known as Blaze and a consumer light company uh, before that. Um, but now the, the, the focus of the business is on uh, delivering micro-ability services for cities in the UK and beyond. So let's start off with Beryl's approach to bike sharing, how things kind of got started and you know what's led you up to this point really sure so we um as i said we were a product manufacturer for, for a few years before getting involved in any bike share services so um you know we we started um a product business based on the, the the view that urban cycling was really really important and it was only going to get more and more important and this was in sort of 2012. um and uh, and um we sort of had the view that um cyclists in cities didn't really have the right products or a business focusing on the right products for them they're borrowing components from road cycling from mountain biking etc etc so we we originally uh and with emily uh emily brooke who had invented the the laser light which is a product that we were well known for uh thought that well let's let's meet the challenges of urban cycling chief among which is safety and this laser light innovation which is a front-facing uh laser which projects an image of a bike onto the road ahead of you. Uh, it allowed us to focus our product business on urban cycling products that improve safety. Now, from there, we, we sort of maintained that hypothesis, right, that we wanted to make it easier for people to cycle in cities and make it more enjoyable for people to cycle in cities, but we've always come at it from the view of, you know, a cyclist from a rider on the street. Um, and, and in the, the time that we've been around, the cohort of people who are cycling in urban areas on bike share services has, has of course ballooned globally as well. And, and so it, 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 it's somewhat of a natural thing for us to want to de deliver products and services to serve that cohort of cyclists as well. And we really had our first opportunity to do that in, uh, in introducing our safety products to existing bike share services. So in about 2015, 2016, uh, I think 2015, we deployed our laser light on every single Barclays uh, bike as it was then known as Santander bike as it was just becoming. Uh, and so we had a contract with Santander Cycles which allowed us to really upgrade the quality of the riding experience for people using that system and improve the safety of people using that system. And um, and then, then you know, we, we sort of followed that up as a product business, but each time 
getting new contracts with new cities, um, increasing the complexity in, of our product, increasing the technology that was going on to the products, and obviously increasing our understanding of these big, complex, serious bike share systems that were contributing massively uh, to sustainable transport in huge global urban centers. So we had contracts in London, New York, uh, Montreal, bit close to home in, in Glasgow as well. And, and each time we had a new contract, we delivered yeah, more technology and more product. And uh, that got to the point um, where we were then you know, delivering sort of all the on-bike technology. We had connected devices, we had lighting and safety features. Um, and this must have taken us up to about 2017. And, and around that sort of time, we saw this coming explosion of, of bike share and, and, and uh, you know, Asian-inspired bike share systems that were then propping up in Europe and, and all over the world. We've then sort of seen that replicated more recently with electric scooters in uh, Europe and, and North America. But you know, while this was going on, we were sort of thinking back to our uh, experience of bike share systems that we'd known and very well, like the Santander bike share system or the New York City bike share system. I'm thinking actually there was um, an opportunity to make use of connected technologies, understand the sort of riding experience that people actually want in Europe uh, from, from, from riding a bike in the city, and the sort of service that cities and transport authorities expect to be delivered. And as far as we could see, nobody was really you know, leveraging technology, understanding the consumer and meeting cities' needs all at the same time. And so that's that's you know that, that was the hypothesis through which we thought, well, let's let's figure out how we bring those things together and deliver a good bike share service. And, and that's 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 where we are now, and that's what we try to do with our uh, partner cities is you know approach it from the view of we know that as a city you require you know certain levels of quality and control, and the same is true from a rider. Um, if we're going to be if we're going to be making positive impact with our bike share systems. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fantastic to hear that, you know, as you said, it was always kind of cyclists and safety first, uh, even as a uh, as a manufacturer. And now taking that kind of philosophy through to your work in bike share systems as well. That's encouraging, not just for users to hear, but I think also authorities and cities, um, which kind of brings me on to um, the next thing that I wanted to, to kind of talk through, and that is your kind of approach to working with transport authorities and cities and how that i suppose how that philosophy kind of guides you through that process well i guess like first of all like the reason why we want to do uh, you know bike sharing and micro mobility services the reason we want to, to do this is because you know we fundamentally believe that everybody is going to be better off if more people are cycling in a city and fewer people are using private vehicles for these short journeys. So basically, you know, with a city, we think our goals are completely, completely aligned. We want to set up our system, our pricing and our commercial model on the outcomes that we're both trying to achieve, which is always pretty much, you know, a modal shift away from short private car journeys. And if you've got that, as a baseline, it's like, and it is, you know, it is obvious. It, you know, it's certainly in the in the minds of, of the local authorities and the transport authorities that we deal with. But actually, then constructing everything around the system and the commercial model to achieve that is is something uh, that requires 
I think uh, a great level of participation between between organisations. So, you know, our, our view is the scale of the challenge is massive, the, and also the importance of meeting this challenge is is massive. And positive outcomes that we can achieve for the environment and the, the health of cities is 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 real, and we really do believe in the power of bike share systems to. To help with those challenges but you know it, it's such a, a big challenge that we have to work with other people to be able to to meet that challenge we have to work with local authorities very closely and sometimes we have to work with other local businesses very closely to achieve that driving a car is quite easy and comfortable and cheap uh in in lots of cities in the uk particularly outside of london and and, and so the, the sort of bar that we have to reach is quite high to, to encourage someone not to sit in a comfortable, clean, warm car to, to get on a bike, which sometimes also is perceived as, as dangerous. So there's, there's, there's a really high bar that we have to try and meet if we want to actually, together with cities, make a modal shift. And that means there has to be a certain level of quality in the product, and a certain level of uh, quality in the service, uh, uh, and also a certain, uh, we have to make sure that our view for how a bike share system should operate fits within the long-term strategy of a city. And a city indeed has to want to make that modal shift as well, and, and, and almost all do, um, but those who have funding available to make it happen, you know, it is more likely to happen as well. Um, and so, you know, that's that that's the conversation that we uh, end up having with cities. Um, and, and I guess one of the, the approaches, one of our fundamental approaches in, in doing that is, well, in terms of the bike share system itself, you've got to got to make sure you're targeting the right people. To make these journeys if you want to be targeting mobile shift so you know you've got to have there's some there's some sort of base level things that need to be achieved for a bike share system to even have an opportunity to be sustainable uh, whether that's you know with governmental support or sponsorship support or ridership revenue alone but either way like there's some fundamentals that you just can't avoid but you have to have a good density of bikes you, you have to have uh, so, that you, so that you're delivering a reliable service. You know, there's a really clear correlation between density of bikes and density of bays. So we have, we have to embed some predictability in the system. So we use a geofenced bay-based approach. So all of our journeys are encouraged to be, as we call it, bay-to-bay. -bay. So we specifically don't refer to them as docks. And I'll come back to that in a sec. So all of our journeys are bay-to-bay -bay based. And you know, we know that people have tried to do this before, like have had sort of geofence phase, but it's not really been successful in, in some places. And, and the reason for that is actually technically and operationally, it's not straightforward to achieve enforceable geofence parking bay behaviours, particularly on, uh, you know, normal bikes or things that don't have a massive battery on them. And that's because of the power uh, that is involved in having really connected and accurate GPS on a bike. So for us, you know, we grew up from a background in lighting and, and extracting power from dynamos and things like that. And so we spent quite a lot of time uh, making sure that we had enough power to keep our bikes constantly connected to the internet, constantly connected to GPS. And then we built our, our system, you know, we built our own bike, we built our own on-bike connected technology, we built all of our own back-end management systems, we built our own consumer app. And all of this stuff sits together to make this bay-based, geofenced bay-based methodology work. Um, so if somebody in, in for example, in, in one of our largest systems, like in, in Bournemouth, Paul and Christchurch, which is a big conurbation on the south coast of England, if somebody 
picks up a bike from a bay and finishes their journey outside of the bay, they get charged two pound convenience fee. And we see that as a really, you know, that is in a collaboration with council. So they want to facilitate some flexibility where people need it. Um, and so you know, there's, there's some people who do don't mind that little extra fee and will leave the bike outside their house or something like that. Um, or perhaps they're running late for a bus or, you know, and they, and they just want to get that extra bit of convenience and the council want to enable that as well. So we have this two pound fee. And, and, in, in, and we see about 85% of our journeys in Bournemouth and Christchurch are, or soon to be Christchurch, are bay to bay. But like pricing behavior is really elastic on that. So we've launched a system in Watford and we're launching one in Norwich um, right now as well. And in those locations, the local authority wants slightly, uh, they want sort of a higher service level in terms of out of bay bikes. They don't want people to be leaving bikes free floating as the old sort of language used to describe it. And so we charge a five pound fee. And already we see the number of journeys that are finishing in a bay is, you know, it's, it's vastly more. It's extremely rare for us to have a bike finishing out of bay because that five pound is probably tipping over from what somebody would consider a convenience fee to something slightly more punitive. And of course, you know, that can ratchet up and down and that could be whatever, it could be 80 pounds, 100 pounds if you park out of bay if you really don't encourage that behavior, if you really don't think people should be allowed that flexibility or, or, or whatever the right level is. Um, and so that, that yeah, that's an example of us um, sort of making use of technology that we've developed and the understanding of the local authorities to deliver a bike share service that makes the most sense for that location, the most sense for the strategies of that local authority and, and also something that is a really good experience for consumers so they know what they're getting they, they can uh, they can use the bike share system um, as as they like. You know that, that base model then also allows us to rethink well if everything is on the bike to make that you need to make the bike share system it also allows us to sort of rethink what we think these locations are that pick up uh, where you pick up your bikes from. So instead of them being docks, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know we, we're able to turn them into bays and then rethink what we want that bay to be. So for us, it's always some visual intervention. So people know where they should be parking their bikes. You know, it might be lining and signing, um, coupled with obviously the digital geofencing. So if someone parks their bike in the lines on the ground, and there's also the digital geofence that tells them that they're parked in that right location. And if they're outside of it, even by a few meters, um, then digitally we know and we can send them that notification instantaneously. It's no good sending them a notification 20 minutes later to say, oh, you parked outside of the bay, please can you move it? Because you know, they've moved on, so it has to be instant. Um, and, and then that allows us to think, well, yeah, let's, let's rethink what, what these bays should be and how do we make them fit into the urban realm. So, uh, for example, in, in Norwich and Watford, where we've just say we've recently launched, you know, that, that's a local authority who, who we've um, worked hard to introduce some sort of healthy streets concepts into what the bays are. So some bays in certain locations are simple, almost like Sheffield stands, and in other locations where there's space and where there's the support from local businesses, they're full-on parklets that are adding a lot more to the urban realm and, and also yeah, some greening, some planting, some seating. And then it's like, well, actually, suddenly this park is contributing to everybody who lives in the city. In the hierarchy of people who are moving in the city, a, a dirty big metal dock helps three, maybe four people a day, who are only those people that pick up 
the bike and dock the bike. But if you're suddenly, you know, you're making some uh, space that is an enjoyable part of where the alliance of healthy streets is benefiting everybody, everybody who walks past that or pedestrians who sit in, in, the, in the park or, you know, the businesses who increase their revenue because there's a park outside of their cafe and things like that. Everybody benefits from the implementation of this this uh, parklet and the parklet itself is is the thing that is enabling us to deliver the order that the local authority wants in terms of this fear of, of free floating bikes all over the place and it also enables us to make sure they're not you know uh, strewn on pavements getting in the way of you know other other pedestrians or people with different needs for getting around so i guess yeah that's that's the approach we've taken there and then also means well, what is this space and, and what are the other micro mobility vehicles that we want people to be able to use from this space because if you don't have a dock that fits one type of bike you can then also introduce which we have done in, in hackney um you know cargo bikes or electric bikes or you know whatever else might come next you know i'm sure people have all sorts of uh, views on electric scooters but i think the the yeah, but you can easily introduce those and if you're suddenly introducing electric scooters in a way you know, a mode that people have demonstrated that is something that they want but nobody has demonstrated or, or there's not many examples of an operate an operation that people are sort of all people you know all various stakeholders in the city are happy with then you know then let's approach it from the operational challenge that people are foreseeing there and then work out where do these this range of vehicles where do they have a role in helping people make journeys that otherwise would have been in a private car or a ride home car or something like that yeah absolutely oh, that's fantastic to hear i think you know having developed your own technology and your own app and you know having that enable your entire approach uh is is amazing and it does feel very very um i suppose it feels very bespoke which probably you know is a is a huge draw for cities and, and authorities and the regions that want to roll out these services. If they have something that feels, you know, really, really works for them and what they're trying to achieve. Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's that, there's definitely that element to it. Like, you know, we have transport planners in the business, people have worked in local authorities, people have delivered public sector contracts for, you know, 30 year careers. So yeah, our understanding and, and ability to work with local authorities to sort of make it, you know, design the system and, and make it work is, I think, quite good. And, and that's an important part of what we're doing. But then also like fitting the commercial model to what is possible in that area is, is really important. So, you know, for example, in, in UK cities, we know that it's slightly easier, uh, never easy, but it's slightly more possible, let's say, for you know, cities in the UK to fund something with capital funding but it's very difficult for them to find revenue funding. It's not the case in all cities, and we do have we do work with some cities in the UK where they have revenue funding and some cities where they have capital funding. But then like in designing the system, we have to think, well, if there is no revenue funding available, right, let's have a quick think or a, a closer think on, or well, is this system going to be self-sustaining if, 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 if there's no revenue funding? How do we make it self-sustaining if there's no revenue funding? And that's where you have to look at. Um, you know, the, the, the tools in our chest are quite... Um, dynamic because we've designed and built everything and then let's work out the, the whole section of journeys that we think it's possible to be made by our services if we know that we're going to need to fund the system uh, via revenue so let's assume we've done a capital project and we've managed to design a service how do we design a service to make it 
uh, something that is possible revenue. So that first important thing is, oh, well, let's make sure we have enough bikes and enough bays to get the density that we're going to see that strong positive correlation and enough people making enough journeys to fund our operation. So and that's, that's our approach in Norwich. Um, so we've taken, you know, we've had a, a, a good sized capital project to implement a system that we think is going to, you know, just, is, is, is going to enable us to, to run that system long term. But then it's like, well, that's that's really interesting now looking forward in the context of where our micro-mobility services going to go. Like we, we have uh, this section of journeys, which we, is our sort of addressable market, and we can stretch that. You know, we want to expand that addressable market as much as we can into, you know, those short private car journeys. Um, and we want to extend that addressable market slightly into journeys that otherwise wouldn't have happened uh, because you know, that's not detracting from other positive journeys like walking journeys and things like that. And potentially we can also extend the market into new journeys like uh, visitor, tourist, leisure journeys. So we want to extend into that area. What we don't want to do too much of is nibble away at, at walking journeys because there's, you know, really great positive externalities and, and like a city where people aren't walking is, well, it's, that's a, that's a, dystopian future, not a utopian future. So in the utopian world, it's, it's just increasing that market uh, in, into um, you know, private vehicles or, or ride hail vehicles. And, and so if we've got this, this right section of people, then you know, we can model, uh, well, okay, how much revenue are we gonna get here and can that fund the operation? And then what are the things that, uh, that chunk of journeys, what are the options available to those chunk of journeys over the course of five years? And I think over that time frame, um, you know, it's important that we work with cities that want us to make that, want us to sort of deliver that service um, over the long term. Uh, and also, you know, a, a bad, you know, a bad scenario for us would be that suddenly a whole section of these journeys is taken away from our operation because there's some, you know, because it's gone to a scooter company, it's gone to something else like that. So that's, you know, we we have to be able to offer right time the whole the whole micro-mobility suite of journeys so that we can make it can make it sustainable over over you know the five year plus time period because innovations in business model and innovations in technology in the sector are so rapid that you know we want to work with cities that understand you know we're going to be evolving with it and we're going to be designing systems that evolve with it to enable us to deliver value from this project that we've just completed, for example, this project to set up a good bike share system. We actually now need to continue to sort of you know, incubate it, you could say, uh, to make sure it's it's growing with new innovations in technology and new innovations in business models. Yeah, for sure. I think that kind of uh, future-proofing part is really, really important. You know, it's, uh, I think cities and authorities, what they want to work with, with companies like Beryl that will, you know, continue to be there and support their growth um rather than kind of turn up deliver get out that's you know it's not a particularly sustainable way of operating for for an authority so it's it's fantastic to hear that that is uh, that that is part of your approach as well um and i mean while we're looking at looking ahead and looking to the future uh, i wanted to ask about your um upcoming launch in New York as well and um, you know how that kind of came about and, and you know what you're kind of looking forward to in that yeah well I think that's a good example of um, 
So yeah, so we're, we're launching it um, in New York City in one of their buildings, Staten Island, as a two-year pilot. Uh, and for us, that's a, a good opportunity where we basically sort of spoke to New York City Department of Transport, who you know know a lot about this sort of stuff. Really, they they run, you know, they they they've had a, a really successful bike care system for a number of years in, in sort of the main parts of their city. So those guys, as a local authority, as a transport authority, I should say, you know, they know they know what they're doing. And so we had a conversation with them. So actually, we think um, you could run bike share systems slightly differently. Like you don't have to have them free floating. You can have a mix of bikes and e-bikes, and you can embed it into the city with these bays. Um, and they thought, well, actually, yeah, maybe you, that's an interesting idea. Let's let's do that. And then it, over time, spoke. Uh, more with them about how we sort of envisaged services like ours expanding and, and they agreed with that and that got to the point where they were happy to give us an exclusive contract. Uh, well, actually, yeah, at the minute we will, we were, we're sort of the only people who will be operating micro-mobility services in, in their, that part of town. And then again, yeah, it's like uh, demonstrating in, the, in that new market for us that, um, yeah, we think there's a sort of and a slightly alternative, longer-term approach to how you encourage people to make use of these sustainable services. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and while we're while we're talking New York as well, I mean, it feels like a good uh, a good opportunity to maybe maybe broach the subject of uh, the COVID nineteen outbreak. Um, I'm just wondering whether that has uh, affected your plans at all with regards to launching uh, in a in a new international market. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I mean, it, we're reviewing this uh, sort of hourly at the minute. Uh, I think you know we're really in the, in the midst of it. Uh, you know, if, if you're speaking to me tomorrow or the day after, maybe maybe our plans will have changed. So we, we're you know, we're in, in all of our systems. We're in close contact with the local authority or the transport authority to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Um, there's been lots of interesting stuff that people have put out you know, in terms of bike share services and, and indeed the importance of keeping them running in, in some ways in a sort of uh, uh, not necessarily the way that you'd expect that uh, when buses and trains and trams are going down, you know, health workers and uh, you know, every, even grocery store workers, et cetera, et cetera, like need to be able to get around. Um, so there's, there's, there's some conversations there that the, the transport authority had sort of Trying to work out what with us, like what's the what, what's the best thing for us to do here um, in terms of making sure that you know if there's a service that we can offer, are we able to offer it safely? But the other side of it, of course, is you know, our employees and our team. Like we employ everybody, all of our bike mechanics, all of our operations team are employed by us um, or employed by a third party operator, if that's what we have. And so, you know, we, we are, of course, an extremely uh, we are a real duty of care to these guys, and we have to make sure that we're um, able to deliver a safe service for our customers, but also a service that isn't affecting their health or as much as anything affecting you know, the economic realities of, of, of our employees. So we're, we're having to monitor that very closely, I think, uh, from where we are right now. Um, there's a chance maybe we have to delay it or, 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 or shelve it a little while but at the end of the day we're going to make that decision uh with the department of transport yeah sure no, it's a it's a 
fascinating time, isn't it? Um, you know, like you said, things are changing on an hourly hourly basis uh, around the world. Um, it's just something that everybody has to be extremely mindful of. Uh, like you said, not just operationally, but in terms of in terms of their staff as well. Uh, so so good to hear that that is that is very much front of mind as well as as well as your own operations. So um, yeah, that's fantastic. But I, I think that is just about all uh, all we have time for um, for this episode. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you very much indeed uh, for taking the time out to, to speak with me. Uh, it's, been, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. My thanks again to Philip for taking the time to speak with me on this episode. It's really encouraging to hear the way that the narrative around micromobility has changed and how the service providers are now that much more responsible in their approach with cities. Uh, I think an approach like Beryl's strikes me as particularly well-rounded, I think there are still some operators in the market that can learn from what they're doing. We'll be back with another episode in just a few short weeks. But before then, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in the app of your choice and also become a member at intelligenttransport.com to ensure you don't miss out on the rest of our content. I'll see you next time.